I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to Theology Unplugged, folks. This is Tim Kimberly. I'm the executive director here at Credo House Ministries, and Michael is not here for this broadcast. He will be here for the next one. So we have locked him out of the room, duct taped him in his office, and he is squirming around on the floor right now, but it's a good place for him to be. <clears throat> We're here with uh, Sam Storms. Sam, it's good to have you here. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for helping me with uh, Michael. He's pretty strong. Uh, yeah, well... We've got him on videotape as well, so we may put this on YouTube. Yeah. Well, what's nice, too, is we don't, but we will recreate it for YouTube. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, Sam, it's great to have you here again. We've been having uh, fun without you, but it's always great to have you back in the uh, studio. Well, it's good to be back. I, I'm sitting here drinking um, one of your... Uh, very famous coffees that you prepared. It took you ten minutes to prepare me a cup of coffee, <laughs> and um, I have no idea what's swirling around at the bottom of the cup, but it is absolutely delicious, and, Thank I'm, you. and I'm wide awake. <laughs> Thank you. That was the clue. I don't know what's at the bottom either, so <laughs> I will uh, go back to training and let you know later. Uh, it's it's great to talk here, and uh, Sam, we were just talking about what we should talk about this time, and Jonathan Edwards quickly came to the forefront, and you have thought a little bit about Jonathan Edwards in the past? I have indeed. Yeah, we uh, he came up, we were having a conversation about a little bit of a debate over perhaps the top ten theologians in the history of the Christian church and how they would rank. And uh, certainly Edwards uh, was among our ten, and there's probably disagreement on the the other nine and where they would uh, uh, relate one to another. But Edwards has had the greatest influence on me of any individual in the history of the church outside the biblical authors. So Now, what in the world would cause you to say that? What in the world would cause me to say that? Well, I, I pretty much have to blame it on John Hanna, um, okay. our, our beloved former professor at Dallas Seminary, because when I was at Dallas in the early and mid-70s, um, he encouraged me to do an independent readings course in Edwards. Mm. And so I spent an entire semester immersing myself in his volume on freedom of the will, which is the most intellectually challenging um, mm. volume of theology I've ever read in my life, uh, and also read Religious Affections and Original Sin and some other writings. And I was hooked. Um, Edwards uh, captivated me, the breadth of his knowledge, the the depth of his thinking, the passion of his uh, commitment to the Lord, uh, his pastoral heart. Uh, he is such a unique and um, in many ways very strange individual, uh, not only in his life but in, in his theology, M much of his theology with which I am in strong disagreement, mm. uh, which is amazing that somebody would have that much of a positive influence and you would find so many areas where you would uh, question him as well. Um, no, a little bit. Someone has never heard of Jonathan Edwards yeah. before. When did he live? What was life like for him? Born in 1703, okay. uh, died 1758. So he had a re really comparatively short life. Um, he um, uh, went to um, Yale University uh, when he was 13 years old, which people hear that and they just are shocked. But the fact is, that was not that unusual in those days. Uh, he was uh, trained by his father, who was a pastor, 
Edwards was uh, fairly well fluent in uh, both biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, and Latin by the time he was in his early teens. He could read uh, pretty much proficiently in all those languages. Now, was this from his parents? Or yes. Was, okay. Yes, wow. yes, his father's training primarily. Edwards, by the way, had ten sisters and no brothers. Uh, so whether or not that had an influence Poor on man. the shape of his theology or personality, who knows? But so you know he's worn a dresser too. <laughs> well, he certainly lived around them, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, he was uh, very precocious, needless to say, and um, uh, immediately went into pastoral ministry upon uh, his graduation and uh, was valedictorian at Yale and uh, delivered the, his valedictorian address in Latin. Um, he um, had some some short pastorates before he eventually uh, became an associate to his grandfather mm-hmm. in Northampton, Massachusetts, Solomon Stoddard. And uh, when Stoddard passed away, Edwards became pastor there, and he pastored the church there, a uh, very large, very prominent church um, for uh, quite a few years until he was summarily fired uh, by his um, by his uh, congregation, it was a bizarre scenario. A number of factors that went into that. Um, maybe we can get back to that in just a moment. But uh, he was let go uh, after uh, I don't know. I think it's, I'm thinking 28, 29 years of serving as pastor there. Eventually, ended up in uh, uh, the wilderness of Massachusetts, uh, serving and catechizing the Indians. Uh, in that region, and so people would never today think of Massachusetts as being a wilderness. Oh, but no. at that time, that, <laughs> it was the frontier. Right? It was absolutely. Okay. It's very dangerous. In fact, for most of his life, um, Edwards lived in uh, constantly surrounded by danger. It was not unusual to hear of somebody being killed in an, uh, in an, an attack by uh, the Native Americans in that area. Um, in fact, on many occasions, um, soldiers actually lived in their home. Uh, who were present to, to protect the settlers in those areas. But Edwards, the last year of his life, he finally yielded and accepted the invitation to become president uh, of what is now called Princeton University. Then it was called the College of New Jersey. Uh, he arrived in February of 1758, so he was uh, just, what, not even 54 and a half years old. He decided to... Um, uh, engage in what was then somewhat experimental inoculation for smallpox. He received the inoculation, got sick, and uh, I think died in early March of 1758 at the young age of about 54 and a half. Mm. Um, Having uh, written a massive amount of material, but yet um, what he hoped would have been his greatest work uh, was yet undone, and uh, there's no telling what would have been the influence on the Christian church if he had lived longer and been able to finish that work. What was that work? Well, he was going to write uh, what we would today call a systematic theology, but he was going to do it from a historical perspective. In other mm-hmm. words, he was going to trace the re- history of redemption uh, from Genesis to Revelation, and as he as he expressed it, he was going to cast theology in the form of a historical narrative. Hmm. So it would be something that would be very uh, appealing today to the way people are now beginning to to talk more about narrative and history rather than uh, you know the, the typical logical and doctrinal categories of systematic theology. And Edwards was very much given to that. He he gleaned theological truth from the unfolding narrative of God's work in redemptive history, and that was what his intent was. And uh, 
it's it's really sad that he wasn't. Do we have any of that no. surviving? Well, it, it, we we have his um, his uh, history of redemption, which is was a series of sermons that he did, which was then published in a volume, which was kind of the initial expression of what this would look like. But no, we do not have any anything. Uh, he he had not begun to put. Um, ink to parchment or ink to paper at that time mm-hmm. uh, on this particular issue. Mm-hmm. I'm reading right now a book that talks about the the history of orthodoxy and the and shapers of orthodoxy is the name of the book. Uh, but in the intro, I like what the author is saying there. He says one of the great reasons why we should be reading these people is not only hearing what they're saying about God, but learning how they're thinking about God, mm-hmm. and then being moved by people who are moved by God, and exactly how they think about him can be a model for how we should think about God. Uh, would you say that Ed- Edwards has done that for you? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's, that is the preeminent uh, draw, uh, the appeal of Edwards, in my opinion, is how he thought about God. He was, as, as many times it's been said, a God-intoxicated man. Um, I contributed to a book that uh, John Piper and Justin Taylor edited called A God-Entranced Vision of Life. Uh, in, Edwards was God-entranced. He was just besotted with God. His understanding of the sovereignty of God, of the providence of God, of the beauty of God was... Um, unparalleled, in my opinion, in the history of the Christian church. Uh, I don't know that anyone has ever thought more deeply about the character of God uh, and his relationship to his creation than has Edwards. So, yes, just watching how that developed in his life and how it affected uh, his ministry and his preaching. And then, you know, here's a man who uh, very famously spent about 13 hours a day in his study and uh, and you would think that he was just one big head, you know, mm. just a bloated, cerebral, abstract thinker, and yet... He couldn't leave his study because his head was so big he couldn't <laughs> yeah, get out the door. Right. Uh, but the fact was, he was uh, such a remarkable preacher. In fact, if mm. anything, when you ask what was it that has... Uh, what What accounts for Edward's lingering and prolonged influence in the history of Christianity, it's his sermons. It's his sermons above and beyond any of his many theological treatises. Uh, in fact, most of his theological treatises had their first expression in the form of a sermon series. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, granted, the sermons that he preached are very little uh, like the ones that we also often hear today. Uh, Edwards wasn't accustomed to preaching for less than an hour, and his prose, uh, when the sermons were trans, you know, transcribed, is sometimes a little bumpy. If you haven't read Puritans, you, mm-hmm. if you have read Puritans, you know what I mean. But his sermons are so filled with passion and energy and application and um, analysis of the Christian life and encouragement. Um, it really is Edwards preaching uh, the Word of God above uh, all of his uh, theological, philosophical uh, works that I think accounts most of all for the appeal that he has today. When someone who wants to get get uh, get in the door and, and get to know Edwards and come alongside of him, where do they start? Should they start with a biography to learn a, bit, a little bit more about him before they actually read his works? Should they start with his sermons? What would you recommend? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my recommendation would be get to know the man. Start with the person of Edwards. So a biography. A biography. And, okay. and my, my recommendation would be this, uh, if I can even push some books here, not ones that I've written. 
Um, it's okay if they I, are ones you've written. I would start with Stephen Nichols. Okay. Stephen Nichols has written a, a short biography of Edwards. Crossway publishes it, I believe. I'm almost certain that they do. If it's not Crossway, it's Presbyterian Reformed. Okay. Uh, but it's a short biography of about 130, 150 pages. Mm-hmm. It's a great introduction to the man Edwards. Uh, if that captivates the individual, they want to go deeper, then I would recommend they go directly to uh, George Marsden's magisterial biography that Yale University Press published. Uh, it came out in conjunction with the 300th anniversary of Edward's birth back in 2003. Uh, it's now in paperback. Uh, it's about, as I recall, seven, 800 pages, mm-hmm. and it is marvelous. It's mm-hmm. Uh, it does address the theology of Edwards, but more than anything, it places Edwards in his context. It shows him how he lived day in, day out. It talks about his struggles as a pastor, uh, his life as a husband, as a father. Uh, it is a, it's a remarkable, it, it's just a great biography. So start out with Stephen Nichols, then advance a little bit beyond that, um, to, um, to Marsden, and if you've read Marsden uh, and really been able to ingest that, you you mm. will have a grasp on who this individual was. I remember in that book, one thing that struck me was there's a section where he was talking about how poor Jonathan Edwards was at mm. times, and how he would actually write his books on just scraps of whatever he found laying oh, around, yeah. like you know wife's uh, receipts or whatever, and he would take it and write on the back whatever. Oh yeah, she'd come home with receipts from the store, and he would write on the back. He would write on napkins. Mm. Uh, he would, uh, if people would send him, uh, packages, he would take the wrapping paper and use that. Uh, you know, he, he couldn't go to an office max or depot <laughs> and buy reams of paper. Uh, it was, um, and of course, obviously all handwritten. And th- that's another fascinating thing about Edwards. There's an entire science to deciphering his handwriting. There are only, a couple of dozen people alive who are able to sit down with an Edwards manuscript and actually read it. Well, wow. uh, I've seen it. It it looks like shorthand by somebody who who was paralyzed in their writing, and it's 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 terrible. But uh, a lot of people are probably relating right now, saying, "Yeah, my wife or my secretary are the only yeah. ones who can decipher." Well, if, you my know, your fa- your your family physician who wrote out that prescription that you couldn't read. Well, that's what pretty much what Edward's handwriting looked like. But he's writing entire books. Yes, not just he is. a little scribble. He is. <laughs> wow. Uh, but yes, I would start with those two biographies, okay. and then I'll tell you a, a, an excellent introduction to Edwards is a is a short five volume set of books that just came out earlier this year. It was edited and put together by Douglas Sweeney, that's S-W-E-E-N-E-Y, and Owen Strayan. And uh, Owen's last name, I think, is spelled S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. And they edited these five books. Uh, again, I think Crossway has published them. Um, if, but if you'll look up Douglas Sweeney and Owen Strayan, um, you could Google that. You'll find it. And they're short introductions to five primary areas of his theology. And they are very readable. They are not for the scholar. They're for, for the average Christian. Who so just, they're, they're going to be citing a lot of his sermons probably yes, in some of his books? Yes, okay. yes. There's a lot of original source material in there. They're each about 120 pages long, mm. and they're not expensive, and I highly recommend those as an introduction to Edwards. And okay. then, of course, for people who really want to go deep, um, coming out in 
the first part of 2011 is what will probably be the definitive treatment of Edwards' theology. It is being co-authored by Gerald McDermott of Roanoke College in Virginia and Michael McClymond. It is called The Theology of Jonathan Edwards. Oxford University Press is publishing it. It will probably cost, you'll probably have to take out a second mortgage on your house. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Oxford University Press volume. But I've seen uh, part of the manuscript in advance. It's a massive volume and it will be, it's very comprehensive. Mm-hmm. But that's for those who really want to go deeply into Edwards' theology. Mm. You had mentioned earlier that there are parts of his theology that you disagree with. Would you mind sharing some of those? Uh, well, just a couple of areas. Um, I'm, I'm uh, Baptistic in my theology. Edwards was a paedo-Baptist. He practiced uh, and was very passionate about infant baptism. So that was one area where I would take issue with him. Now, why would, why would someone be passionate about paedo-Baptism? Well, in those days, um, you know, infant baptism was, as it were, the ticket into the, into the local church and your standing in the community. And it was just expected that everybody uh, who was born to, Christian, to a Christian family, and even those that were born to non-Christian families, would be baptized. And I think Edwards had a view of the nature of the covenant and the local church and membership uh, that I would not embrace uh, I would see, you know, believe that church membership is, is a regenerate membership. Um, but that's a minor area. I mean, I have a lot of Pado Baptist friends, and I wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, I love them and embrace them. I would not divide over that issue. But it was one on which Edwards was very adamant. I think probably the area where I would have the greatest um, uh, area range of disagreement would be on eschatology. Okay. Um, Now, Edwards didn't talk a lot about what we call the end times, but Edwards took an historicist interpretation of the book of Revelation. And what that is, is that Edwards saw the book of Revelation as prophesying from the first century to the end of human history, the events in actual history. So he would draw direct and specific correlations between one of the bold judgments, for example, and what happened in uh, uh, Turkey in the ninth century, or he would uh, uh, correlate a specific seal judgment or maybe a particular um, event with happenings in the Roman Catholic Church. Edwards, for example, as was typical among most Puritans of that day, believed that the Pope was Antichrist. Mm. Uh, He was adamantly anti-Catholic and... uh, so Edwards would uh, would attempt to read the book of Revelation in the light of the ongoing unfolding history of the church. And I think that the historist, that's what's called the historicist or historical uh, approach to Revelation, now, how, how does largely that, discredited. How does that compare and contrast to a preterist view? Are, do those overlap? Uh, to some extent, but the preterist—it depends on to what degree of preterism you're you're embracing here. Uh, a full preterist view would argue that the Book of Revelation was written before 70 A.D., before the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple, and that all of Revelation is a description of that judgment of God against Israel and uh, the city of Jerusalem. Um, a partial preterist view would be open to the fact that um, Revelation might have been written in the latter part of the first century and that it, whereas it did pertain 
in uh, good measure to the to the churches in Asia Minor in the first century. It also has relevance for the end of history. Um, but Edwards, Edwards did not um, see much significance in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD seventy. So he would he projected all of the Book of Revelation as covering the span of church history as we know it. Okay. Um, from from the time of Christ up until the second coming or the millennium, um, so that's an area where I would have some disagreement with Edwards uh, would be in, in his eschatology. Uh, there aren't many other areas. Uh, mm. I, I, you know, he was so um, creative in in many respects in his theological thinking that you'd almost have to take each one individually. There are some areas where I might, for example, I wrote my um, uh, my doctoral dissertation on his uh, treatment of original sin. And whereas I generally agree with his approach, uh, there are aspects of that where I think that he got a little bit off track mm-hmm. and was inconsistent. But, um, you know, I, I feel kind of uh, pompous in sitting here and saying that I think Jonathan Edwards was inconsistent. I mean, this mm-hmm. man's mind was so far beyond mine or mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. in the history of the church, it feels a little bit arrogant to be passing judgment on him in that way. Especially since we've done a series on arrogance. Yes, well. <laughs> yes. Um, well, well, when you say creative, what does that look like? Because most people would either, I, I think most people would be afraid to use that term, that, mm-hmm. oh, you're so creative in your theology. Usually that would be a very negative thing, you know, that you're thinking of things that probably you shouldn't be thinking of. Most people would say, hey, toe the line, this is what we believe about our faith. Where is, where where was it helpful for Edwards to be creative, and now we are benefiting from his creativity? Well, when I when I use that word with regard to Edwards, I have in mind primarily the way in which he would, as it were, extrapolate or expand upon what he saw in Scripture. Uh, I'll just give you one example of that. Um, Edwards would read passages such as Acts 17, in God, in Him we move and live and have our being, or Colossians 1, 17, in Christ all things consist, or Hebrews 1, He upholds all things by the word of His power. And we read those and we understand uh, that they are referring to what is called by theologians the doctrine of preservation where it's not merely that God creates everything, not merely that he providentially directs it uh, toward his purposes, but that he upholds and preserves everything in existence moment by moment. Mm-hmm. So Edwards talked about the not only the transcendence and the otherness of God, but his eminence and his presence in creation in the in the expression of upholding and maintaining and preserving all created reality moment by moment. In fact, Edwards went so far as to argue for what has been called continuous creation. He basically said that since everything, and let's just take it down to to the basic properties of the physical universe, that every atom, every quark, every proton and neutron is sustained in existence moment by moment by moment by the positive exertion of the power of Christ. Mm. And so Edwards had this such this grand vision of God's sovereignty and of his control over everything that is. 
and how that led to his understanding of uh, providence and salvation and um, his confidence in, uh, in in God's ultimate purposes is just it's just beautiful in how it worked out. Or, for example, his uh, how it expressed itself in his appreciation for nature. Uh, here is a man who who really understood what the Bible meant when it said, uh, the heavens above declare the glory of God. <clears throat> Edwards would go and sit on a hillside or in the, or in the pastures uh, of, of the surrounding areas of his community and meditate on trees and mm-hmm. streams and rivers and spiders and birds. And he would see in all of nature, in all of creation, what he called adumbrations of the divine. In other words, everything in creation for Edwards was in a sense typological. It was pointing to Christ, some attribute. He, he, he wrote an entire treatise on, um, on typology, and what he's primarily talking about is how the natural creation reflects attributes of God. He would see the grace of God uh, in the skies. He would see the power of God in lightning. He would see uh, the kindness of God in the way the animal kingdom operates. Everything that was made. He took Romans 1 seriously, mm-hmm. you know, where Paul talks about how uh, the things that are unseen about God, his divine nature and his eternal power are revealed in the things that can be seen. Mm-hmm. And Edwards would reflect upon that in in a way that I've never seen anybody do before. And so this is unique. This is a unique way of thinking spurred by Scripture. Oh, yes, it, it is. And uh, again, we're talking about a man who, who wasn't spending hours a day on Facebook or television, and so he was devoted to, um, to seeing the beauty and the majesty and the splendor and the power of God in all that had been made. His senses were heightened towards oh. God. I mean, that's, we talked about that earlier with uh, yes. Piper. One of the things that makes him unique is he's trying to say, hey, I need to reject some of these things that I feel like dull my senses. You know, if I watch three hours of TV every night, I might be, become dull, where Edward seems to be his model as well, I would say, towards that thinking. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, you know, some people look at, at how he lived his life and they say, that's a, that's a little weird. I mean, yeah. and admit it, Edwards was weird. I mean, but let's also admit, virtually every single person who's had massive, epic-making influence on the Church of Jesus Christ has been weird. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them has mm-hmm. been really odd, personally, in some respect. I mean, look at Luther. I mean, there's, that was one of the strangest men that ever lived. Yeah. I was going to use you as an example. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you, right. You went to Luther. So. Um, but, yeah, Edwards monitored his eating and drinking. He mm-hmm. would keep a record of it. And he knew what kind of food made him feel sluggish mm-hmm. and what kind of uh, – how much he could eat before his mind began to uh, get sleepy. And he maximized every hour of every day because he believed that – he was here to honor God with his body and with his efforts and with the gifts that God had given him. Uh, but, yeah, Edwards um, uh, was very much heightened in his, his capacity to sense and see and feel the presence of God in all of creation. In fact, I would strongly encourage um, our listeners to read Edwards' personal narrative. It's the closest thing that we have to a personal testimony. Um, 
you can find it in many of the collected volumes. In fact, in my book, Signs of the Spirit, I have the entire text of the personal narrative plus my commentary on it. And it just talks about Edward's personal devotional life. Mm. Talks about how scripture affected him, how he would go and spend time observing nature and how it awakened his appreciation and love for God. Uh, it talks about his struggling with his own sin and his feelings of conviction and how um, the, the beauty of Christ and the majesty of divine grace was so transforming in him. Uh, it's a remarkable – you can read it in less than an hour. Mm. It's, it's maybe 25 pages of what would be a, a, a book that we might have today. It's very easy reading. Edwards actually never – anticipated it would be published. Mm-hmm. He didn't write it in order to be released. So it's it's interesting that we're actually looking into his heart on a, in an area that he never intended to be read by anybody other than his family and close friends. Mm-hmm. But the personal narrative is a remarkable expression and uh, of of Edward's life, relationship with God and it, really it's a window into his heart. People want to know what drove this man to relate to God, to minister to people, to, 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 to give his life with the energy that he did? Read the personal narrative, and you'll get a sense for that. The last word here, if you could, let's say some pastor or any of our listeners, they're getting ready to, to interact with Edwards, getting ready to read Edwards. What is your hope for them? If there's just one thing that you feel like Edwards can really mold the average 21st century Christian, what's your one way that you're just really hoping that Edwards can change that person? <clears throat> Boy, but it'd be very hard to limit it to one. Yeah, or or um, just kind of a top list. I think it is Edwards' expansive vision of the beauty and the glory of God. Uh, Edwards was truly, as I said, a God-besotted man. And I think that in the present day, uh, we have compartmentalized God. He's, he, you know, we, we keep him in a box over here or we run to him in a moment of crisis there. Um, but to see the, uh, the presence and the power of God in every arena of life, in relationships, in marriage, um, in our own uh, personal destiny and our own experience on this earth, uh, to see the how God relates to us and the magnificence of who He is, to to see His providential hand in directing history, bringing all things to consummation in Christ. I just think that most Christians today, and I hate to say this, but probably the majority of Christian leaders and pastors have such a stunted and restrictive view of who God is. And Edwards will open your eyes and your heart to an understanding of the greatness and the beauty of God uh, that I think few others in the history of the church have been able to do. So mm-hmm. that is what I would hope would be his greatest impact. And then, of course, if we had time, I could go and talk about his his view of revival. Mm-hmm. I mean, Edwards was the consummate revivalist, which which strikes people as odd. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he sounds so much like this this high thinking, cerebrally oriented philosopher and theologian. And yet Edwards was preeminently concerned with the renewal of spiritual life in the church and what what 
true Christian experience is as over against what is false and how do we know. So certainly got Edward's view of God, his view of revival in the local church. Uh, these are, I think, probably the preeminent things that I would want to, uh, people today to grasp and, and to understand from having studied him mm-hmm. and read him. Mm-hmm. Thanks, uh, Sam. Thanks, uh to uh, Jonathan Edwards as well for such a great example. And uh, feel free to let us know as you interact with Edwards what your, what your take is, uh, the things that you're learning. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we will uh, be back with Michael next time. We should probably go and rescue him from the floor as he flops around like a fish on his office floor. But I think he has sufficient oxygen in there. The duct tape wasn't too tight around his That's mouth. That's right. And so. he's a strong guy. Yeah, he's strong. Very resilient. All right. Theology Unplugged. This is Tim. Sam, Michael, talk to you next time. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.